Good morning, Brother John. Good morning, Jerry. Ooh, a little bit cold here. Uh, I've, I've got more than my uh, normal T-shirt on. Ooh, it's like 27 degrees and a little wow. snow on the ground. That, so I, you you sent me pictures. Yeah, I'm doing okay. You sent me pictures, and wow, uh, I saw snow. Yeah, a little bit. It's just what we call a dusting up here. When you have, you know, less than an inch, it's no big deal. Oh my gosh! Can, well, can bite. well, yeah. The weather in St. Louis is unknown to me. I have not <laughs> left. Uh, I'm in St. Louis, by the way. I'm visiting yeah. our mother on my way to go to Chicago to see you and yes, others. I can hardly wait. Oh boy. Uh oh. Okay. So, but. I have no idea what temperature it is. I'm uh, I'm in mom's condo. I'm in the basement, and uh, God Almighty, it's hot here. I've got most of my clothes off, unfortunately, but I do have my T-shirt on. Oh, which one you got on? I have got. Look I've down got on the original shirt, black. Okay. I've got the original black. Hey, we're the Bobsy Twins. I got mine too. I got the original on. Such a deal. Oh, oh, ooh, la ooh, la. Ooh. Okay, yeah, we're doing it, and you know I'm so glad I have this on. Uh, it's always perilous, viewers and listeners. It's always perilous to visit your ancestral family home because you do revert, and it's you have to guard against it. And this T-shirt helps me. So if you guys are going home for the holidays, you need this shirt. It's like a Superman outfit. You got to have that on. You will not revert your childhood i think how do you get the how about but come on get to the the important matter how do you get the shirt you type into you your url field of your web browser you type the following and listen carefully everyone shirt dot bro dot show that's it no dot com none of that nonsense we got a good url here and that's all you need to type and if that doesn't suit you and you want to go see all of the 30-something episodes of this illustrious podcast and also get a t-shirt, then you just go to bro.show. You can even type the.bro.show if you want to, or www.bro.show, but go there, visit, and enjoy yourself, and also get a t-shirt for the holidays. I think you need one. You need it. I need it. Uh, but enough about me. me. Enough about me. What about you, John? Well, I uh, just like to say that I think we've got ourselves a very, very good program with some interesting topics, very timely topics, uh, some of them more challenging than others, some of them more exciting than others, but I think it's going to be a really good show. So, I think so, too, and I think something's different today. I hear a respirator in the background. Oh, really? Is that Darth Vader? Did you invite Darth Vader to the show? Well, listen, let's start by talking a little bit about what our topic is, and I'll introduce our very, very special guest. Uh, today, we're going to start out in the old sports portion of our show, talking about a very, very important game, college football-wise, that's going to take place tonight between Notre Dame and the University of Miami. 
So this is a, a storied rivalry that uh, goes back many years. Uh, complete, it heated up in the 80s, and uh, it's uh, really kind of heated up again. And tonight's going to be the night. So what we needed is we need somebody who knows a little bit about the football game in general and also specifically the Miami Hurricane. So at this point, it's a real pleasure. I'd like to uh, introduce our guest, Jason Otto. Jason and I are uh, beer buddies and also baseball buddies. I don't know in which order you'd say, but uh, but we kind of uh, you know got these common interests, and as a result, we've uh, known each other for about four or five years. And so, Jason, I'd like to welcome you to the Bro Show. How you doing? Great, thanks, guys. Honored to be on the show. It's very yeah, well, not just an honor, not just an honor. You're now an honorary bro, and you have on your Bro <laughs> Show, you have on your Bro Show T-shirt, I assume. Uh, I'm not quite yet. But. <laughs> well, still early. It's still early. He, it's early. He's saving it for the game. Okay. Oh my God, he's naked. The game. No, and for going out and meeting the women too. <laughs> oh, that's another use of the Bro Show T-shirt. Yeah, I forgot to mention. Chick, it's a chick magnet. There's no doubt about it. No doubt. No doubt, Certainly. man. Oh, so Jason, wow. why don't okay. we uh, talk a little bit about your your background? I know you're not a you're even though you live now in Chicago. Where were you uh, born and raised, and uh, and went to school originally, high school, and all that? Yeah, so I grew up in the Hudson Valley of New York, about sixty miles north of New York City, a small town called Hopewell Junction, uh, which is just south of Poughkeepsie and east of Newburgh, a uh, no short drive from uh, West Point. So grew up in the Hudson Valley, and uh, yeah, I've always rooted right. for our New York teams, and I still kind of stay loyal. So right. I'm a Mets fan, Knicks, Rangers. Mets. Good choice, good choice, Mets. No Yankees. That's good. Yeah, so I've had a tough year as far as uh, following my sports teams. Uh, yeah, the but the American League, the American League made it. <laughs> right? But, it, but the Yankees did well this year, but that was kind of unexpected. Yeah. But, no, I'm talking about the Astros, dude. Well, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, hey, no, no, um, no love there. There's no love. I didn't feel the love, John. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Hey, don't, hey, listen. Don't hold your breath waiting for love. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here, uh, and Jason and I have something in common. We're both CPAs and uh, and got our degrees in accounting. And Jason, where did you go to school? Where did you get your college degree? Yeah, I went to Bucknell University. So not a real hey. football powerhouse. But a uh, pretty good lacrosse team and basketball team. But majors yeah, and in it's got a there. Uh, got a very famous baseball uh, graduate. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, who the football field is named after? Christy Mathewson. So the big six so, himself, Yankee pitcher, uh, uh, Giants pitcher, uh, uh, was went there, graduated, and then from there, well, the rest is history. Uh, considered. Yeah, so went to Bucknell. Then I worked at Ernst and Young in Connecticut for four years. Then I moved down to New York City and worked at Merrill Lynch for just about seven years. And then I took a detour and moved down to the Miami area, which is kind of where we're uh, uh, going to talk about. And nice. I've been in Chicago now for the past uh, five years. Nice. Well, uh, so your interest in the Canes probably is, uh, has to do a little bit with your uh, being located down there for a while. Yeah, a little bit about that, but also that. my brother is a University of Miami graduate. He graduated in 2003. So that's really the <laughs> what sparked my interest in the team. And the first time I went to games, 
it was back when they were playing at the old Orange Bowl, and the teams they had when he was at school were just chalked with great players, and I mean, half the uh, team probably made uh, made it to the NFL. So it was very wow. impressive going to those games, and yeah, they really dominated. And it was just a great time, and that's what really kind of started my what, interest. What years were those? Uh, he graduated in 2003, so yeah, all throughout his uh, years there, I went to probably yeah, six or seven games. Then since then, I've been to random games when I lived down there. So they moved right. uh, their stadium. They tore down the old Orange Bowl. Now oh. Miami Marlins play in a brand-new facility, but that's a, uh, strictly meant for baseball for the most part. So yeah. Now, yeah, now the Hurricanes play where the Dolphins used to play in the old Joe Robbie Stadium. It's changed Ooh. names probably five times. It's now called Hard Rock Casino Stadium. Hard rock. <laughs> wow. But yeah, I, was, I, I, spent, I spent some time in the uh, Orange, Orange Bowl. It's called the Orange Bowl. Was that it, the stadium? Yes, exactly. The older stadium. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see the Steelers and the Cowboys uh, play the Super Bowl there. Yeah, right. The Dolphins played there for years. And yeah, they had Super yeah. Bowls down there. Yeah. Staubach and, and uh, what's his name? Oh, geez. Uh, Brad who's Shaw? the big guy? Who? Right, Terry, Terry Bradshaw. Oh, yeah, Bradshaw. That was a good game. That was a really good game. A nail-biter right down to the finish. Last pass. Ooh. Anyways, moving on. So, yes, we've got uh, – so, Jason, I'll tell you right now with respect to Jason, I don't think there's a – Yesterday, last night I was asking Jason some questions, and I don't think there was one question – every question I'm asking about the Miami uh, team, he was able to a answer with a, with a full answer, comprehensive, et cetera. So let's get oh. into it. Uh, at this point, we know that they, we can talk history eventually, but right now, as we sit, we've got ourselves a, a uh, what I would call a revival of the rivalry because we've got two teams. We've got Notre Dame, which is I ranked. I don't know why, but they're ranked third. They've lost the game. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And then we've got the Miami Hurricanes, which are ranked, I think, seventh and haven't lost a game. And wow. So, Wow. What's going on here, Jason? Why do why do those doggone Notre Damers, why do they get, you know, preferential treatment in the ratings? It's Rudy. It's Rudy. That's a simple oh, answer. Rudy. Come on. Let, let's, Rudy. Rudy. Okay, Rudy. let's get let's get a real answer here. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah, I think it's okay. partly quality of the schedule. Notre Dame has played a lot of good opponents. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, let's see, they beat in USC. They lost to Georgia, who was ranked First now, Number one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, only by one point. So they've beaten Boston College, Michigan State. Uh, they've beaten a lot of good teams. And Miami didn't have much expectations going into this season. Uh, they have a brand-new quarterback. Uh, the coach is in his second year. Uh, the team hasn't really been that great in the past uh, few years. So they're uh, kind of building on the you know, upswing here. So. Right. Uh, they've really had to earn their uh, reputation this year. It's sort of the new kid on the block. I see that probably the best team they beat was last week when they uh, beat Virginia Tech, which was ranked 13th, and uh, beat them pretty convincingly at home. So I think they got a lot of momentum. That's going to help them. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. The team seems to be on the upswing. The offense has been slightly inconsistent. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, like I said, the quarterback here is no, – it's his first year starting. He actually played 
of one year on the University of Miami baseball team. So we kind of had to make the choice between should I focus on baseball or football? And I guess he chose football and it was probably a good choice. Right. He's having a really good year. Uh, and one thing with the Miami offense is they lost their uh, probably their best player early on in the season, their running back, Mark, Mark Walton, uh, in the Florida State game. So, uh, yeah, that took its toll. But the defense has really been playing great. Uh, every game they've been getting better and better. Uh, playing very aggressive, just like the old Miami teams, going after the quarterback, tackling guys for losses. So there's a bit of swagger coming back to the, uh, the Miami team, I believe. I think if we characterize the Miami team, we've got a team that, you know, is probably relied a lot on its defense, and its defense is considered its strength. And it's also known for, uh, for takeovers. In fact, to yes, the extent yes. that it's gotten some notoriety that it, it has a little ritual, a tradition, that they've started at the beginning of this year. And Jason, perhaps you could explain that, uh, the, that tradition that they've, they've started. Yeah, the hot thing now is the uh, turnover chain. So you know, early in the season, actually before the season started, I think the quarterback, uh, the quarter, the cornerback coach. Right. Uh, no, he went down to a jeweler, famous jeweler down in Miami. Uh, this guy called AJ Machado. Now he supplied chains and jewelry to a lot of athletes and uh, musicians. And you know, he came up with a huge gold chain with the Miami emblem on it. And whenever Miami recovers a turnover, uh, the person that recovers the ball, you know, he gets to wear that chain on the sidelines for, you know, say the next five minutes. So these guys love to uh, you know, rally around that, flash it to the camera. And it, it's just uh, just part of the Miami mystique of being uh, flashy, having fun, Miami Vice, uh, a sort of swagger. And it's been a good thing for the players. Even a lot of the old-time players are like, it seems like they're having fun down there and they're bringing some of that old-time swagger back. So, right. yeah, How big is it? How big is this emblem? I think it weighs almost five pounds, they say. So the emblem is, you know, takes up your whole chest. And uh, they will reveal... And they won't reveal just how much it costs, but it'll probably cost a pretty penny. They keep it under lock and key during the week. And even after the uh, players take it off, after they uh, recover a turnover, they put it in the safe deposit box on the sideline. <laughs> Whoa. I think it'd make an, if there was a big fight on the field, it would make an excellent weapon, I think. <laughs> oh, please, please, please. Hey, listen, no. we've already, Miami's already got a, a, a reputation. It's trying to live down. We don't need to. <laughs> Have fights and chains, etc. Oh. So as we take a look at Notre, yeah, good, good, good try, but not quite. Uh, oh, well, yeah, you can lead in then, Sean, to the uh, slogan that, you know, that the Irish <laughs> like to purport. Oh, the whole third. Yeah, Are you referring to the the hated Notre Dame team? Please. Of course, of course. Hey, I'll yeah. tell you what, I, Notre Dame though is is they're ranked third now. So I mean, it's they gotta have something going for them. So if we take a look at them, where would you say, Jason, their strength lies, and where can perhaps publicity, Miami, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, notoriety, uh, past history. Uh, they they live on their laurels. We all, we will get to that. But right now, okay. as we speak, there is something out there. I, I to be truthful, let's give a balance for at least a few minutes argument. And talk a little bit about Notre Dame and what they've got to offer as it relates to this game. So, Jason, what do you think, offense, defense? How do you feel about uh, what what the Miami is going to be up against? 
Well, well, to be honest, John, I haven't really watched any Notre Dame games, but I've done some research, and it seems they have a really good running back. He's one of the top Heisman candidates this year, and also a, a fairly good quarterback that likes to run the ball. So right. Miami has to be very cognizant of this, you know, stopping those gaps up the middle. Uh, Miami plays man-to-man. They like to go after the quarterback, and so uh, uh, just uh, showing us, Strong defensive line is going to be very important in this game, and not just strong. They're going to have to be smart. True, true. Yeah. Well, the thing, the way I, the way I see it is, is we can kind of just capitalize the the the, the, the rivalry and what we have going on tonight is that uh, I think that what has to happen is that we know that Miami has got a very very strong defense. That's their their their, their strong suit, and they're also known for takeaways, and they've made a lot of pass interceptions, fumbles, etc. So I think the key to this exercise is to stop Notre Dame's running game, which is going to be a challenge because they've got some of the best rushing stats in in the country, and make that doggone running quarterback put the ball in the air so that that Miami can start making those interceptions and and pass that chain around is what this game is going to be all about. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, I got to add, I got to ask, what's the... What, I can feel John's like? enthusiasm building there. It's very good. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, let me, Jason. Let me ask you, what's uh, what do the Canes? What do the Canes have in terms of offense? What are their secret weapons? Uh, well, they're a very fast, athletic team. So, you know, often the offense isn't on the field for a long time because they can uh, complete a long pass and you know score within a, a, a minute or two. So it's yeah. Uh, that's a that's a curse and a blessing. Yeah, exactly. It couldn't. It can be a hit and run offense, and and like I said, their star running back is out for the year, so they're playing a guy that's a uh, no sophomore that hasn't played much, but he's getting better and better. So, you know, as long as they can stay on the field for a bit, no, no, I'll be very what, helpful. What what kind of a quarterback do they have? Is he like a pocket guy, or or is he? Can he mix it up? No, he can actually uh, run the ball. Like, he's a very good athlete. You know, he played one year on the baseball team there. He's from Alabama. Uh, he's got a good arm. Uh, but, no, it's his first year really starting for the team. So, no, he can make mistakes. But, no, he's shown a coolness under pressure, which has been key to a lot of the Miami games this year because a lot of the games they've had to pull out in the final five minutes or so, and he's done really well. So, Oh, this should be a good game. I think it's a point that's well made is they are battle tested. They have gone through a lot of pressure in terms of coming from behind, holding on to slim leads. And that's part of the reason that their ranking isn't quite that high. Not only is their schedule not quite as strong, but it seems like they do an incredibly good job of pulling victories out of their butt. Right, right. Uh, No, it seems for Miami, each year kind of turns on that big uh, rivalry with Florida State. So they played Florida State in their, I think, their fifth game this year and just barely pulled out the victory. But that victory usually propels them uh, because that game is very heated because a lot of those guys on both schools, uh, no, they played down in South Florida. South Florida, Southeast Florida is a real hotbed for high school football. Uh, Dade County, Broward County, Palm Beach County. So a lot of uh, uh, guys on all the three big Florida schools no, they play high school football against each other. So it's big bragging rights when you go against these guys you've seen and 
you know, pull out that victory uh, versus Florida State. Okay. Well, Jason, as we take a look at uh, historically these teams, I mean, it seems like uh, it, uh, the Hurricanes are like the Rodney Dangerfield of football. They get no respect. Ooh. And it really annoys me to no end. And I think what kind of a cult, if you wanted to kind of give the main thing that's about this, is that a couple, you know, 20 years ago when the rivalry was really heated up back in the 80s and, and early 90s, the uh, Notre Dame decided that they, students decided they were going to come up with these t-shirts that said convicts versus Catholics. What? And, uh, yeah, it, yep, it, it's yep. sort of like the hurricane swagger has been misinterpreted to be like these guys are goons. It's like criminals. If yeah, they're like criminals. You, you, if you, if you, you would think that the way that they recruit the doggone football players for the Hurricanes is they go down to the parole officer and ask him, <laughs> "Would you have any good fresh meat for me?" You know, it's just ridiculous. This reputation, which is totally unfounded, sure, they're out to have fun. They make the game fun. They they, they have some swagger. They they're a little rough on the edges. They play aggressively, but let's right. not call them convicts. Come on. Have they been convicted of anything? Well, look. look no, in fact, talk. the latest scandal to hit either school actually involved Notre Dame. Right. It involved a student trainer uh, basically uh, taking classes and tests for a bunch of the football players. So, <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame Whoa. may uh, live on their laurels of uh, being no holier than thou, but uh, there's... Uh, there's issues at both schools and with all big-time college football programs. That's probably the case. <laughs> exactly. The fact is that they do. And I think the one thing that Notre Dame is the best at doing, and that is brushing their scandals under the rug. They have done it so much that they are very adept at trying to temper down any no uh, publicity, bad publicity they can get. So, yeah, we could spend uh, the rest of the doggone program talking about about the, uh, you know, the indiscretions that have taken place on both sides of the football here for these. Yeah, I just want to make one comment, though, about that slogan, the Catholics versus convicts. I mean, I find it very demeaning to all Notre Dame alumni and students, because in this day and age, with all the controversies, who the heck wants to be called a Catholic in this day and age? I mean, all the... All the issues with the church and pedophilia and I don't yeah, know. Well, that's that's why they're so good at uh, sweeping things under the rug. They got the yeah, church to that's help. That's right. The church is there, and they've yeah, got sorry, bad joke, guys. Yeah, and yeah, and it's and not a joke. No, it, but <laughs> the fact is, you're you're right. I mean, let's face it. We could take a look at both sides of this, and there is some baggage being carried by both of these names. Right. So right. that's exactly right. So is so the. the Canes are a team that has had some great 80s, 90s, and they're coming back strong. And it's good. I mean, in fact, if we take a look at the last of these two teams, which of them was ranked one, won the national championship the latest? Hurricanes, 2001. Miami. Canes. Uh, When's the last time? When's the last time Notre Dame won a national championship? 1988. What? So, yeah, it's so like Notre Dame is living in the past. They are, they haven't gotten to the new millennium yet. They wow. are still living on their laurels. In fact, uh, if we take a look at uh, dominance, um, my, my feeling is, and uh, Jason, uh, that, that Notre Dame is over, has constantly been overrated and money plays a big part in it. 
money. Oh, of course. They've had, How well, about Notre their TV Dame contract? Had a long-time contract with NBC. Uh, the current contract goes out to 2025. So even what? if... Uh, yeah, even yeah. if four years from now the team isn't any good, you're going to still force to be watching them on NBC because they've, yeah, they've got yeah. the pull. The bottom line is that their team is so special, they have their own network contract. They're not part of a... In fact, they are an independent, and they've finally kind of pushed a little bit into the ACC, which is where Miami is also located. And what they've done is they said, we're going to be... We're going to participate as a member of your conference with every sport except one. And guess which one they're not going to support fully or be a part of? Football. Football. So they say, look, we're special football-wise. So as a result, we can't do a full schedule with you guys like, you know, a normal, you know, Big Ten <laughs> team would do, et cetera. We can only play three of you guys a year. So uh, as a result, we've got to continue to be somewhat independent because we're different. We're better. We're, you know, and all this, whatever. Right. There's a lot of adjectives you could use, John. A bit of a smugness. Yes. A little bit of stodgy. It's like in the, in the beginning of the year, it's, it's like the expectation is we're going to be number one. When fact is they have been number one since 1988. So it's like... <laughs> They are delusional, is what it boils wow. down to. They don't wow. know what's going on. And here so in Chicago, we're surrounded by a lot of Notre Dame, yeah. no alumni and fans. So it is we have an uphill battle. Yeah, so we have an they're, uphill battle. 90 miles away is South Bend. So when it comes to the large city that's closest to the campus, we're talking Chicago. So there is a strong following here. And... Uh, you know, the, the fact is that when they recruit, they like to point out, well, we're independent. So if your son, if you, if you're from California and they're recruiting, they're saying, well, we're going to play USC. We're going to play. You're going to get a chance to see your son play where you live. Or so they like to make a point about the fact that they, they, they play all over the country and they're wonderful and you will get to see your son play. Well, enough is enough. I just want to point out one other thing. I don't like to talk much about academics because football and academics, as Jason pointed out to me last night, need to be separated. But Notre Dame is academically considered uh, the 15th best uh, school uh, by U.S. News and World Report. Miami, which is, you know, maligned, is 44. Nothing to sneeze at. I mean, they're very, very good, too, in terms of their academic ranking. But Northwestern ought to embrace their academics they yes. ought to they ought to say look we are a very good college that has a good college program they should their model should be something like stanford which periodically does well is very competitive but don't think that you're going to be the winner and go you know and, and be unbeaten for the whole season that's not real so that's enough. I've, I've given you. So change their focus. You're saying, John? Yes, they need to change their focus and look look in the mirror and see what they really are and embrace it. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, maybe shut so, down the football program for a few years. Yeah. I, really I, focus I, on the academics. Oh, I, I, wow! Wow! I can't! I can't believe I'm hearing this. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So yeah, we'll oh, I'm upset. I'm a little upset. I'm a little upset. Okay. You, I saw Rudy, and, and, you know, that's an upsetting movie, really. People think it's a great movie, but 
here's a story of child abuse as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, really. Actually, the real, there, there was a lot of dramatic uh, flair uh, to that. Jason was pointing, I think, out to me or somebody that, that, yeah. uh, that it wasn't that bad. I mean, Rudy was, was, was well-received and, and, and to some extent, I think what we see uh, in, you know, they had to go to the extremes in the movie. So oh. uh, that's, that's okay. But so you think he's a, all right? You don't think he's damaged to this day? I think Rudy has lived on the laurels of the of the and he and he's well received at the school. I think he's considered like a cult hero of sorts. Okay, that's fine. And and Uh, I believe he's a motivational speaker now, so he's kind of living off that movie. Yeah, he is. (laughs) I mean, he—they're not going to have to have a a tag sale or uh, for for Rudy. Rudy's going to Rudy's doing fine. Oh, I'm glad you guys told me that. I feel a lot better now. Thanks. So (laughs) as we take a look, let's talk a little bit as we finish up here. What's what tonight? I mean, what's the spread? Yeah, Jason, what's your prediction? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we're playing down in Miami. That's going to help them a lot. Got yeah, walk us through it. Yeah, what let's see here. Uh, looking, it looks a little bit overcast there. It's not uh, too warm because usually the warm weather of Miami favors uh, the Canes because they practice you no know, d- during good. the summertime and that. But I think it's going to be in the uh, mid seventies uh, game time. Uh, okay. The spread, I believe, is around three, three and a half, favoring Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm cautiously, uh, cautiously optimistic. Yeah, let's see. My final score, I think, thirty-one Miami, twenty-eight Notre Dame. So Ooh. I'm picking uh, Miami Ooh. by three points. Wow. But, no, I, I, I don't think. Up a point. I haven't asked what? Jason this question, and that is what, one of the things since you mentioned thirty-one to twenty-eight. A change, uh, a difference of three. It just brings to mind how how good is the field goal kickers on either side? I, Jason, you might not even know. I you no, know no. The field goal Miami. kicker for Miami is really good. He's a guy from Jersey, Michael Badgley, and uh, yeah, he's got a uh, no, not a big guy, but he's got a strong leg. So even beyond fifty yards, he can make no make the kick. I'm not sure about Notre Dame again. Right. Well, that's no, okay. We don't need to. We don't need to hear about. It. We've heard more nah, than we, about them already. The hell with those guys. <laughs> they're uh, going to lose. I don't think yeah, they're so, going to get their twenty. No, twenty-eight points. I don't think so. <sighs> okay. Yes. Yes. So, uh, no. Jason, I don't know if I'll uh, maybe see you tonight. I understand. I understand you. Uh, you don't like to be out there, out and about, watching uh, at the. Well, just this year, I've got a little streak going because. Well, no, hey, every keep game it up, for Jason. Miami. I don't, I don't want to see you tonight, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I want well, you to come into the bar after hey, and celebrate and have a, cel- a celebratory beverage. That's going to be yeah. my plan because that's what I've done the past few weeks. So that, Good. You know, every game I've watched at home and they pulled it out. So I may just keep that a little superstition no, yeah, going. Yeah, you have to keep <laughs> that going. I think that. Your idea to you're, now you're going ice skating today, and you're going to get some Blackhawk mojo because you're going to be skating on Blackhawk ice, as I recall. So that you right, got that right. going for you. You're going to stay at home, and you're not going to uh, let your mojo get screwed up because it could get polluted. There's a lot True. of Notre, there's a lot of Notre Dame mojo down at that bar, and you got to exactly, be careful. exactly. Yeah, it could make my you know, experience unpleasant. So. Yeah, and I, I'm going to help you out here, okay? I'm going to give you a little mojo myself here. Here it comes. Okay. In nominees patris, it freely is, it's spiritus sancti. What? Okay, you're done. You got it. So you, you're you immune now. 
to the uh, Notre Dame mojo. Oh, dear. You're good. Oh, You're good to go. Uh, you travel around the uh, cabin. Feel feel free. You're good. Good to go. Okay. You got it. From a, Father from a Jerry. From a, a non-practicing from a non-practicing Catholic, yes. <laughs> He's a man of miracles, there's no doubt. Oh, boy. Yeah, and no 28. They're not going to make it. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I feel, I feel I feel very comfortable about the way Miami's And right now, I see a sign that somebody's holding you know, down on campus for this game day, and it says, Rudy yeah. was offside. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Yeah, so take oh. that playback. <laughs> oh. I have mixed feelings about that. I'm I'm conflicted, but I'm okay. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. Okay. okay. Well, we'll, and also, we'll Miami listen. had a comeback T-shirt to the cop, the uh, Catholics versus convicts, and it was. What did they say? It, uh, God made Notre Dame number one, but Miami made Notre Dame number two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Good, Jason. Very. So, good. looking forward well, to the matchup. Okay, well, Let's listen. I'll I'll hope to see you after the game, and uh, and and I appreciate and thank you so much for being a guest. And as as my brother said, you're a bro now, no doubt. Hey, great speaking with you guys, and I'll see. Okay. Yeah, oh, see you, Jerry, oh, on this upcoming week. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. You forgot about uh, the title change he's got. Did I think you? You didn't, John. Did you cover off uh, what his new title is down at uh, his place of work? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, J you know what? We didn't talk about his current employer, and Jason is the, has been just recently uh, by us uh, promoted as a, a yeah chief financial officer of his of his employer, <laughs> and um, and because he's doing such a great job there, he just took on the job. He's just took on his job uh, within the last like four or five months, maybe a little bit longer, but he's a rising star. And uh, Jason, feel free to use this podcast and take it to the human resource department of your employer. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And if you need any support, John and I are going to, I'm going to be in Chicago and John and I can pay a visit to the HR department let them know you're no longer vice president. You are now CFO. Uh, <laughs> no problem. I, I, I can't guarantee that you can keep your present job if my brother goes there, though. Sorry. <laughs> oh, geez. I'm trying not to do that personally. Okay, okay. I appreciate so, it, guys. Good enough. We'll be talking to you, Jason. Thank you very much. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye. Well, Ooh. moving on to our next section. Yeah. Uh, Jason knocked it out of the park. What a guy. What a guy. Yeah, he's, he's really a good guy. He's very knowledgeable. I'll tell you, you ask him a question, and you're going to get a full, not an overblown. You're not going to get a Bredopedia answer. No. You're going to get a concise but very comprehensive answer, and that's what he's good at. Not just oh, that, though. That. Not just that, though. Cigars. Oh, he's a cigar guy. He's. You're going to get plenty yeah. cigars when you get up here. That's what I'm thinking. In fact, maybe tonight I'll. Ha maybe tonight I'm hoping I can have a cigar. I'm going to text Jason to tell him if they win to bring a cigar over and we'll, we'll get over on the beer garden because it's perfect <gasps> weather for smoking on the beer garden. It's only about it's 27 degrees. It's fine. I agree with you totally. Totally. Okay, but listen, we got a pro we've got a movie here. And oh, do we? Movie, yes, and I mean the fact is that uh, in our as we were growing up, both of us in our college years, we had an opportunity to to watch this quite often. It was called The Graduate, and one of the reasons we're highlighting this movie today is that it is the 50th anniversary. This movie came out in 1967, and it has had some play in terms of that anniversary. Uh, particularly by Turner Classic Movies, made a big deal about it in screenings uh, uh, over the country. 
In addition to the fact that uh, Dustin Hoffman has gotten some notoriety in recent, he's added, he's, his name's been added to that long list of, of, of guys who've gotten themselves uh, noted for their sexual harassment. And um, although we don't want, we're not, we don't want to talk a lot about that. We're not gonna, we are going to mention there are several scenes and situations in this movie that have been listed as part of what he, of his sexual harassment accusation. So I think those are what we'll, we'll talk a little bit about and kind of not try to cast any yay or nay in terms of his behavior uh, itself, but talk a little bit about that in the context of the movie. Yes. So that's what we got going. And, uh, Hell of a movie. Hell of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I, I, I'm going to give you my one sentence that we can work on in terms of okay. the plot. Because I, I think that uh, one is, that, I mean, you ask anybody, I don't care what their age is, they've usually at least know about the movie and understand the plot if they haven't seen it. So what we have here is it's called The Graduate. And the reason is because, guess what, Benjamin Braddock, played by Dustin Hoffman, has recently graduated from college. And he's having some problems trying to figure out what he's going to do with this rest of his life. He hasn't really made decisions whether he's going to go to get a master's or go to grad school, et cetera. And, um, but in the interim, what happens is he has an affair with Mrs. Robinson played by Anne Bancroft, who happens to be the wife of his father's of, of his law partner, law partner. And then, so he has this affair, which was, uh, I would say more, it was a, it was a real physical affair, the hotel, et cetera. And then what happens is that, he is given a, a mandate by Mrs. Robinson, uh, based upon the little conversation they have, that you will not ever take out my daughter on a date. Well, he's feeling the pressure from his family, from his family to, to meet Elaine Robinson. And then you've got, of course, the daughter, uh, the daughter played by Catherine Ross, Elaine Robinson. He's also, the pressure is also being given to him on uh by mrs robinson well mr robinson actually so uh he finally says okay look i'll go on one date with her i'll make it well, he has to he has to because the threat is well we'll just invite the robinsons over all of them elaine mrs robinson the dad and we'll just have a nice dinner and you kids can get to know each other a little bit and of course a uh, poor old uh benjamin uh Braddock freaks out at that point and says, no, 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 no problem. I'll go over and take her out. Then he's got to deal with Mrs. Robinson back at the house, who is mm. fuming. We had a rule here. You're breaking it. He said, I didn't have any choice. It's either that or we're going to have a dinner together. And I don't think that would work. So yeah. that's how it starts. And, you know, you, you said we saw this as we were growing up. Well, have we grown up? No. Well, no, that's, so. that's another subject, too. But, uh, uh, okay. It, it, well, Benjamin really hadn't grown up either. And that's so. his problem. That's his problem. He's right. a, He's the same generation as us. And I think that when we get down and talk a little bit about the reaction to the movie, we can kind of give our own personal reaction mm-hmm. as we mm-hmm. feel about now and later. But let's kind of go through some of the, the background yep. information here. Uh, this movie was directed by Mike Nichols, and Mike Nichols, was very, very well known back in the 60s for a variety of things. He started out in, believe it or not, uh, didn't start, but had a, a, a big part of his uh, early career was uh, with the, uh, with Elaine, uh, Elaine May. He was a part of a comedy team called Nichols and May. 
yep. and kind of a unique situation. And they they got together because they were part of the Chicago's second city, so their their roots were here in Chicago. That's where they kind of got their their comedy chops. And uh, but then they broke up, and in terms of they, they in terms of the comedy team, and Mike Nichols <clears throat> became a director, and uh, he was well known not for movie directing. But known for directing Broadway plays, and yep. included in those plays were the, a lot of Neil Simon plays, including The Odd Couple. So yeah. then he decided to jump into movies, and the first movie he did was in, he was an incredible success. He did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, uh, and so he got rave reviews for that. A very very serious movie. Yeah. Not what you call comedy at all. And all nope. of a sudden, for a second movie, he's given this one. He's given the, to do the Mrs. Robinson, which was a novel that had come out three or four years before that. So it was well known about the movie. It had a lot of it, it, the hype about making the movie was very, very big. And people were trying to try to figure out as we take a look at casting to who's going to play these various roles. And it's this that, is that's this kind is of, interesting. This is interesting. <clears throat> it is, uh, and I think what we, you know, we could talk about all the roles, but I think the key ones are Mrs. Robinson, Benjamin, and then Elaine Robinson. Yes. So as we take a look at Mrs. Robinson, I mean, this role is wow is is so different and so, uh, you know, demanding and off the wall that it received a lot of a lot of interest. And when it comes down to it. I mean, there's been myth that Doris Day was uh, offered the role, and if you call, talk about against type, uh, yeah. that would have been really funny. But I think it, good for her career it, too. Yeah, I could have been a, a kind of pushed her career along as she's kind of hobbling along, still playing the virgin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is that Mrs. Robinson, there uh, actually, Mike Nichols had uh, several people in mind. He had Jean Moreau, a French actress. He felt that the French kind of have a reputation of kind of taking a very sophisticated view of sex. So he kind of pitched that one. The other one that was noted was Pat Neal, Patricia Neal, who was oh just overcoming a stroke. So yep. she probably, she would have been a good choice. And then what it all boils down to is it, it's Anne Bancroft. I think that Mike Nichols, when he went to his producer to try to pitch it, he wanted uh, the French actress, Jean Moreau, but he also wanted to have, and we'll talk a little bit later, the music was critical to this movie, and he was interested in the music. So the producer says, look, we're going give, to give up, and you can do what you want to do music-wise, but we, we don't, we're not going to tell you who to have, but we don't think the French actress, Jean Moreau, works. So as a result, they fell into the, uh, Anne Bancroft. Now, Anne Bancroft, you know, when you think about it, Anne Grant Bancroft's playing against type. Hard yes. to with this movie. This is yeah. a unique role. Uh, and when you look at her, what's her background? She had just won the Academy Award and a Tony for playing the miracle worker, Helen Keller's uh, teacher, Ann Sullivan. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so she's moving from going from a teacher of a deaf, dumb uh, person, uh, played by Patty Duke, into playing this, you know, very... Uh, Seductress well, Cougar. Yeah, Cougar Plus. Thank you for pointing that out. So that's a little bit on that role. But well, you know, I think, wait, wait, before you get off of that, I think the thing you said yesterday was really important to mention now, 
and that is the ages. How old is Dustin oh, Hoffman, yeah. and how okay. old is Anne Bancroft in okay, reality? We, if when we this take is a made. look at these three roles, let's kind of we can start by we'll take a look at all three roles in terms of age. Mrs. Robinson is obviously supposed to be, as it says in the movie, Benjamin says, you're twice as old as I am. Well, the fact is yep. that Mrs. Robinson was 36 years old, uh, you know, Van Bancroft. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is 29 years old. So we're talking six or seven years different. Right. And then we've got it, what people don't realize, that Elaine Robinson is 27 years old. Yep. So her daughter is, is not even, doesn't even fit. Yeah, and right. um, you know when you take a look at ages in the movie, it doesn't ma- it doesn't make a lot of sense because Benjamin Braddock, uh, you know, during that summer he is celebrating a birthday. In which birthday yes. is he celebrating? Twentieth, twenty one, twenty first, twenty first, twenty first. That's right. Twenty first, which means that he was twenty when he graduated from, um, you know, from Wherever. college, but from actually Williams College, which is a pretty good school. When you hear when you hear Benjamin Braddock, and we'll talk about this role, when you hear him talk, and they say, well, he graduated at the age of 20, well, my, my question would be, was that high school or was that college? Because he's not <laughs> real smart. No. So, not, and plus, he, he is the fresh-faced kid. And I think we should yeah. also point out that if you watch the movie, you'll discover he was a virgin. I don't know. I guess so. I don't know. He, no, he was he a was. little upset when Mrs. Robinson. Uh, too know, upset. Of, was he too upset? Is that where you're, you're coming from? Yep. Yeah, that's I, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm yeah. Not, I can't. I can't argue with that. We can read the book yeah. and find out, but yeah, I think that's the case. So then we got Benjamin Braddock, and he is uh, their first choice for this one. Is a real laugher, Robert Redford. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you could. Yeah, oh, Robert Redford geez. is going to play. A, a loser uh, graduate who can't figure out what to do with his life and has life. never been laid. Never been so, laid. And so Mike Nichols uh, auditions Robert Redford, and Mike Nichols says to Robert Redford, look, you're, you don't fit this role at all. I'm looking for like a a, a little socially challenged, kind of a nerdish uh, guy who doesn't have a very good presentation and still trying to figure out what he is. And Robert Redford says, I can act. I can act. I can do it. I can do it. Mike Nichols says, Mike Nichols asked him one question. He says, have you ever struck out with with girls? And Robert Redford says, what does that mean? And Mike Nichols says, that's my point. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. No, this is, and you know, it's to be pointed out also, a lot of these guys, and I'm including Paul Newman and even Marlon Brando, when they came on the scene, they were strikingly good looking and they didn't have to act. And you know what? Some of them didn't do that great. And but as they got older, they became great actors. And I think yeah. I think that's the case with Redford. If you look at his early work, it's fairly predictable because he didn't have to. Right. He, but there was a, uh, a stereotype role that he was always going to be you know considered for and you're right and i mean what he what also i think gave gave him credibility as he got older with better roles he also then got on the other side of the camera too and, and right and you know ordinary people his first director uh job was was a winner so i mean that helps oh, him a lot huge um so let's move on to just a little bit talking about uh, elaine robinson 
Uh, and I guess other than uh, Elaine is, I mean, she's drop dead gorgeous. I mean, we'll talk a little bit oh, about that. That woman, yeah. I mean, if anybody listened to anything she said, let alone remember it, they they have a memory better than I will ever have. You were just constantly looking at this lady's eyes and just kind of going, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, she is, only- she is beautiful. I mean, and she, oh, man, she's really got some stuff. She's got mojo as far as that goes. And you're right. It's hypnotic. Hey, you're watching the movie and you're going, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like you watch her, her expressions and her, her, her best lines are crying. That's it. (laughs) That's that's the best thing she's got going for in the movie. The only other person I say that was good. I'm a big fan of of actors who use food in order to act. And I thought Dustin, the initial scenes with Dustin Hoffman, her at the drive-in, and the French fries and all that. Yeah, very good. Chomping on the burgers. Yeah, I got hungry. Oh yeah, too. And I'll, yeah, I, um, yeah, my sexual appetite was aroused. No, excuse me. Oh, that that's that is our sexual <laughs> appetite now. <laughs> Food is, yeah. So Boy, the only she, other person is she good was, looking. What kind of French fries were those? <laughs> <laughs> did she have cat? Did she dip in the ketchup? I don't know. Yeah, dip or did she pour? Hmm. Okay. Patty Duke. She what? was considered for the role. Patty Duke was considered. For okay, the role. let's think about that for a second. Oh well, you know, Patty Duke. Nah, well, she sure. Let's put it this way: she was not hypnotically beautiful. No, agreed. She was. She'd have to bring something else to the table. There's no doubt about it. Which would be I acting. Mean, yeah, it would be acting. Which it, we're going to talk a little bit about these characters and I, some of the reviews when we get a, when we get through and take a look at some of this other stuff. I think a big piece of this movie, though, is you know we could talk about the other people cast, and this has got a, a deep cast. It's got a lot of good cameos in it. You even got the the screenplay writer Buck Henry playing in it. You got all kinds of people. But uh, let's take a look at the music. The I'm ready for this. Piece of this. Yeah, and I, the music is I'm, is, is I'm ready. mind-boggling. Because why? It, why it, do you say that? Well, I say that for a couple reasons. One is that it rather than taking and building uh, and writing songs to fit the movie, what they did is they found a they found a composer and a type of song and the songs that the person writes and then figured out which of those songs fit in. And that was not usually the way it was done. So no. what we have here is we've got the entertaining uh, group, Simon and Garfunkel, who provided the music to this. And some of the songs are ones that were out way before the movie came out, such as Sound, Sounds of Silence, uh, Scarborough Fair, etc. Yep. However, yep. Yep. there is... Some of them that uh, that Mike Nichols goes back and says, "Look, I I, I need a, I need some more songs, I, I, and we you know I need it to be topical, timely in terms of the the, the the movie itself." And here's where we have a kind of a disagreement, or not at least a couple different stories as to how the most famous song in the movie, of course, Mrs. Robinson, comes might even be their most famous song in a in a kind yeah. of way. I mean, there are lyrics with Joe DiMaggio, uh, you know, boo hoo hoo, and all that that they are just embedded in our minds. If you were a part of that era of the '60s, yeah. so uh, the fact is that one one group says that yeah, they just did it from scratch and made up. But the other one is that you know they the uh, Nichols went to him and says, look, we need some, we need something else, and they said, well, we're working on this other song called Mrs. Roosevelt. Yeah. Wow. This is Roosevelt. Now this guy. That's wow. Scary. That is scary. Talking, yeah, we're talking. Ellen you don't Nichols. touch so that. That's mm. the third rail. I don't think you touch that. Oh. Not in 1967. 
So what they did is they were still working on the song, apparently, and uh, Mike Nichols liked the melody, and they were able to dress up the lyrics to fit the song, and yep. the rest is history. So I, oh, I they, Jerry, look at what they cover. Look what they cover in that song. You know, they yeah. they they cover the church. They cover national guilt and mourning with Joe DiMaggio and, and Marilyn Monroe in a kind of weird way. Uh, they they do a lot of local contemporary memes that were like floating through the the zeitgeist of of 1967 and really were very opportunistic i thought with that song and you're right what a catchy song yeah and it had words it had lyrics real lyrics yes so when we take a look at this movie i think one of its uh qualities and that, that really stands out is the way that music is used and how it was developed to be a part of it. Uh, that Mike Nichols actually was using the music before they even thought about putting it into the movie as a means of setting a mood for actually doing the movie. Yep. And then he just got captured into the fact that, wait a minute, this should be a part of the movie. So that was yep. incredibly good to see. It was. It was, it was a great decision. And uh, I was deep into the uh, rock and roll culture at that point in my life, and I remember very distinctly when this album came out, and we listened to it. Uh, Sounds of Silence are uh, that's an, a magnificent song, uh, especially if you get to hear it all. It's it's great, and you know to hear them perform it even recently is same. I mean, they their harmonies are beautiful, uh, the lyrics are incredibly penetrating. Uh, they were at that time their reputation. You know, uh, in the rock and roll magazine, uh, whatever, this was like the beginning of, of Rolling Stone, the magazine, and right. all that, Crawdaddy, those kinds of things. And they were like, oh, well, he, these guys are the kings of melancholy. They've got this down. No one else can do this. And it's true. You know, uh, there were protest songs. There were all kinds of other stuff going on at that time. And these guys were just like, get your Kleenex out, buddy, because we're going to take you down. You know, they weren't known for their upbeat songs, right? They were... You know, sounds, Sound of Silence, I mean, you know, written on the yeah. subway walls. Uh, I mean, you know, they were redefining what it meant to be in a, 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 an alternate American kind of, you know. And they gave you this picture, and it resonated with people like me and, and you, know, you too. You know, oh, it, yeah. was, it was so big. It was so huge. And they got to tap that. But, you know, here's, here's the downside of, of the profession I was in at that time. Uh, they weren't universally loved by fellow musicians. And this doesn't come down to Garfunkel so much as Simon. And, you know, he had a reputation of being very exploitive. Uh, you know, when they first started playing, he pretended to be from England. Because England was a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, the yeah. British invasion. Exactly. And so when, when he, he's an opportunistic guy. I mean, that's what he did. And you look at his career, and he certainly did that. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't getting any traction with sales with Garfunkel. He pitched him and went to Africa and various other places and reignited his career. And it's all, you know, exploiting different things that are going on and, and stuff like that. And, and I, I, so when I watched this, uh, by the end of it, I was sick of Simon and Garfunkel. And that's a sad day in America, man. Yeah, but I was. It, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunately not. Uh, knowledgeable in terms of that side of it, I did know that afterwards he was, you know, pretty exploitive. But let's. But when we take a look at the the, the music, I think 
the Simon and Garfunkel music is timeless. Uh, it's yeah, it is. It's different, but yep. we can listen to the songs and we can still enjoy them. And, and we don't feel like, yep. well, that's the good old sixties rock and roll. No, it's no, no, no. Bit more than that. So, You're right. Uh, yeah. So I think when we, uh, just moving from the, the music side of it, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the critical response, but I think more important is for us to talk about our response and how we felt about the movie when it came out. And as we look back on it, what we think critical response wise, it was a rave. Uh, yeah. it was, you know, it was, you know, it, very, very well received by both. And that's, that's reflected by not only in terms of the, uh, box office where it's when they, you know, adjusted for inflation, et cetera, it's one of the top 25 grossing movies ever. Awards-wise, wow. it got a lot of Academy Award nominations, but it only ended up getting one award. Not surprising. That's Mike Nichols directing. Uh, yep. You know, we could we could go back. I don't know off the top of my head who some of the people, the uh, the best actor, best actress they were up against, but that's fine. They got the you know the director, et cetera. When I take you know, I read through some reviews of this movie and I thought back to myself what was so appealing to me about the movie yeah I want to hear this you're, 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 my, my thing was I, I saw these people in the movie who if you take a look at it there are not what you call these people are not there's only one person who's got a, who's the sharpest pencil in the box and that's Mrs. Robinson the rest of these people talk like they're goofballs including yep. Dustin Hoffman is the one so here we have Dustin Hoffman, who is just like, you know, just doing everything wrong in terms of the date. And even after he starts acting serious with Elaine Robinson, he's still acting like a doofus and he's getting the girl. So my reaction was, if Dustin Hoffman, I can do better than he is. And I'm sure in hell he doesn't, you know, he's not what you call a Robert Redford, Redford lookalike guy. He's not a guy with good looks. If he can get a girl like Elaine Robinson, I sure in hell can get something halfway decent. And it's just sort of like he was my kind of hero in terms of that part of it. That's what I, you know, that's my reaction mm. when I was a kid. Mm. Um, I, well. Where, did, where were you when you first saw this in the theater? Where? St. Louis. Yes. Okay. And you were... Hey, uh, in, you were Washington what two years University. into Washington U, right? Yeah, Second University. year. Yeah. And I mean okay. I'm in a nice campus, this and that. That's fine. It's all good. Uh but you know, the other side of it is I take a look back at it now, I take a look at it and say, Well, first thing is this movie was not you know, it, it there's one it's nineteen sixty seven, you say, Well, God, that's gotta be a movie that's got protests and all these other things. This is a middle class, middle you know, movie which deals with suburban the only time protest is mentioned in it huh. is when the landlord for Dustin Mr. Hoffman, Roper. when he, Mr. Roper, played by Norman Norm Fell, Norman Fell, he says, "Well, to him, Mr. Roper is another part he played in another in a TV series, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, that is the guy. Name. Yeah, yes. I, I'm sorry, you're right. I did screw that up, but he, but the deal is that he says to him, "Well, you're not one of those protest type, are you? Agitators. That's it. Yeah, those agi That's it." You're agitating here. Yeah. He kind that's the only reference it is. And we've got to realize we're on the cusp of movies like Easy Rider, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we're in Berkeley during part of the movie. We're and in you Berkeley, only and we would think that, you know, this would be yeah. a piece, but but what do we do? We've got the whole hum 
uh, you know, guys who are the frat guys who are slapping each other with towels and silly bullshit that, you know, yeah. was, was big, very sophomoric behavior rather than, and here we got Benjamin Braddock who is, I can't figure out what to do with my life while yeah. we have all these people, you know, all these protesters at that time saying, we know what to do and we know how to do it. We're going to protest. And yeah. we got this goofball who is who's laying on a on a, you know on a floating thing on on, on in the swimming pool, and uh, he gets away from his parents. How does he get away from them? Does he leave? No, he puts on a snorkeling outfit and goes to the bottom of the pool. Yep, brilliant. That's, oh yeah, this guy's a real hero. Oh, He's the anti-hero. God. That's that's what that's is the this is the spawning of the anti-hero movies too in so, a way. So this movie was practically out of. Uh, out of style within months of coming out in ter- terms of this part of it. But it yeah. is so good in so many other ways in terms of it's, you know, the way it approached sex, the way it approached the, with the music in it. The actors are in it very good. It's almost like, in a way, you get a sense of a little parody, a little, you know, oh, yeah, in it. But it doesn't really play it up real big. It's just kind of subtle the way it works. And Mike Nichols and whoever was a cinematographer do some incredible angles, do some montages and a variety of things in order to keep the movie moving along in a very, very interesting way that we're kind of captivated by, by some of the things he does as you're peering through, you know, a fishbowl or looking at characters. So the angles are real good. They don't do it to the extreme that it's distracting. They do it just enough that it complements and fits well into the movie. I've talked enough about it. What do you? What, what's your read on it? Well, uh, my circumstances were slightly different. I was in in uh, at SIU, Southern Illinois University, in Carbondale, uh, a, a party school, obviously, and uh, the counterculture, I think, as it was called at that time, was really just beginning in, in Carbondale. And we were kind of what I saw in the movie was, you know, more or less what I was experiencing. That there were two realities, you know, there was the protest and 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 uh, you know all the fervor over the war, Vietnam War, and you know people were starting to smoke a lot of pot, and you know there was that that was but at the same time, I don't think the fraternity uh, culture had ever been higher and more dominant than it was at that time, also. And the two camps, uh, it was just like in high school with the greasers and the cake eaters, only it was with the frat boys and, and the uh, folk singer, pot smoker kind of guys. And so uh, I went into that movie really expecting a lot more of the countercultural stuff that you just talked about. There was only, there's one scene that was done in Berkeley when Elaine goes back to school and, and Benjamin pursues her. The one scene on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley where he goes into some shop to buy something, guys coming out with an afro that almost didn't get through the door. And other than that, you don't know you're in Berkeley. You don't know it's 1967. You don't know anything. Uh, I didn't see any of the things I thought I would see. Uh, instead, like you said, you see suburban, uh, uh, upper-middle-class America doing what Southern they California. do. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, and all that stuff. And... Uh, if you pay attention to the movie and you watch it again, after you watch it, you'll notice great uh, uh, on-scene production, great stuff. Him, him, his work with that car on the streets and on the highways, wonderful. Their trip to Santa Santa Barbara was great. Uh, Santa Barbara, yeah. which is unrecognizable today, uh, was beautiful. 
And that's where I met my wife. So, hey. Wow. Yeah. Only five years later. So, that, you know, that's a good thing. And so, my, my whole reaction to this thing was I didn't get what I was expecting out of the movie. Instead, I got this weird guy who looked really, from a lot of the angles they shot him at, unflattering. Uh, he looked like he was 20, 21, but he wasn't, of course. And uh, he, at various times during the filming, he looked a little bit like a rat, which is somewhat foreshadowing because he played rats yes. so not too much later, yeah. which is for me, yeah, part that... for Dustin Hoffman with the prominent proboscis and, and disappearing chin. And uh, so he's a, and, and to his credit, he did a wonderful job in that movie. And if you went, once you saw other movies he did, you realized what a great job he did because that's not Dustin Hoffman you saw there. That was a character he played. And he did yeah, a damn the, good you know, job. One, he did. One of the things we didn't mention and I, uh, that I we said we would talk about, and that is the fact that uh, it, it has to do with Dustin Hoffman, is that uh, he ended up in one of the scenes with early scenes with Mrs. Robinson uh, cupping her breast, you know, reaching around and yeah. touching it. and Just going straight forward that, with his hand. It was zombie-like. Yeah. It was like he was from was the like mummy a zombie. movie. Yeah, yeah. It was a, like it was a zombie. The fact is that that was an improv scene that he put. He did that uh, based upon getting an agreement with Mike Nichols and 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 uh, Anne Bancroft. But not Anne Bancroft. That did not did not know that was going to happen. Yeah. So uh, that has been noted in re- recently because of his other allegations that have been made. But they throw that one out. They also that that you know. Dustin Hoffman didn't feel comfortable with him playing with the role that he was, you know, auditioning for, and uh, and it's 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 clear to see this is a if you're going to play a, a, the role like that, it's hard to say, well, how am I going to do this? So he is doing an audition with Catherine Ross, and to relieve the tension, he ends up pinching her on the butt, <laughs> and this is something that you know you're saying, well, oh God, this just came out recently. Well. Guess what? The 30th anniversary interview. 40th. He talks at 40th anniversary. They've had a couple of them, you know. I think it was the 40th. That is well noted. It's talked. He goes into detail describing the situation. He's just trying to ease the tension. She she was very upset. She said, don't ever do that again. They later, you know, worked together. And and during the movie, they kind of, you know, made up for that little indiscretion that he did. I don't think it's an indiscretion. You you know what it is, I think. I think. It's inappropriate. He, I think this is, this guy doesn't know. He, he just, he's not a normal guy. I mean, that's what you discover about Dustin Hoffman as you follow his career and, and yeah. watch him. And, and he, he, he's known for being difficult to work with, number one, but number two, inappropriate things he does. And they're not sexual. They're just damn inappropriate. Now, they may be sometimes sexual in nature, but let give me an example. He played Captain Hook on that Peter Pan remake and, his thing during that movie was he was afraid of getting sick for some reason and was on this onion diet. And so, I'm I'm serious, John. He ate enormous amounts of onions. And so, those scenes where he's like, and you see him in The Graduate, he's not afraid to like get in the other actor's face, you know? And he did a lot of that in Captain Hook. And man, he was stinking those guys out so bad. (laughs) So... This guy is just a goofball. Like you said, it well, pretty good. I think the fact is that I'm not making excuses is, for and, him. And the role fits. And what we learn now is that basically the role was one they should be feeling comfortable playing, right? Because of his behavior. And yeah. I'll tell you what: if if 
if Dustin Hoffman comes through the, ro- the, the door of that hotel the first time he has his encounter with, with Anne Bancroft, if he came up to her while she's you know, taking her clothes off and he pinched her in the, and pinched her in the ass, I, I, I would say that's very appropriate. That, that, that fits the role. <laughs> so what he was doing, basically, was doing comparable things with, with, with Catherine Ross just to kind of get into the mood, the method, the, you know, whatever these actors and actresses have to do. So not making any excuses for no, you know, what's going no. on right now, but kind of taking into consideration what was considered, you know, kind of, you know, hijinks, uh, improv, whatever you want to call it at the time. That's the word. Now That's taken the word. very, very seriously. Oh, yeah. It should be. So, so right. uh, yeah, I would say that, you know, this movie obviously has got a, a life. It's got a legacy. The play was made about it with the... Uh, Kathleen Turner playing Mrs. Robinson got a lot of notoriety in the early 20s to 2000s. And it has a lasting appeal. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the reissuing of it every, you know, 10 years is like kind of demonstrates how this movie has continued to have a long life. So. Yeah, let me talk about one more thing I'd like to say about viewing this movie. Uh, when John said, oh, let's do The Graduate, and I was in total agreement. I thought, you know, and what sparked it was the recent Dustin Hoffman uh uh, hijinks, if you will. And so uh, I thought, well, where in the hell am I going to watch this? So I found an app called uh, Film. Oh, Jesus. No, something blanking on the name. Filmstruck. Thank you, John. Filmstruck is a really interesting app on iOS and Android and everywhere. So you can get that and you sign up. It's a little pricey. I'm getting the free free trial to watch some things and see if I like it. But what I do like about it is they give you a tremendous amount of information about the movie they show the uh, the film the film of the various people who tried to play the dustin hoffman oh uh, really yeah you get to you get to see that visually not just hear about it as history they they do a lot of good stuff like that they've got uh they've got a great interview uh with buck henry uh it really quirky interesting stuff that really kind of suits the way john and i like to watch movies so I'm, I'm going to recommend that uh, if you've got the, uh, the budget for it. You know, I would recommend they got the whole Criterion collection on there and the Filmstruck uh, collection. And if you want to go uh, and, and rent that, uh, it's a monthly thing. So like $10.99 a month, you get both collections or you can pay for a year or you can just get the, you can just get the, uh, the uh, Filmstruck uh, uh, collection, which is cheaper and doesn't have really as many hard hitting movies like this one. It's, it's only available if you do the big subscriptions. So I'd recommend it. It's interesting. If you don't like to read and you like to watch, they've got cool stuff, good interviews, uh, stuff from movies, a lot of quirky stuff you'd never find anywhere else. So sounds good. I'll have to look into that. All right. Okay. So another good movie, needless to say. Well, you know what? The bottom line is this has got to be better than the last one we reviewed, Night Game. So. <laughs> low bar low bar yeah we had a low bar to go over it oh man i'll say but that's okay we made it through this and this was this was a good nice change of pace to finally talk about something that has some redeeming qualities to it okay what do we got next then flynn 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 we're going to talk about like faux news faux news Wow. It's not fake. It's no longer fake as foe. I'm tired of fake news, aren't you? Are you tired of fake news, John? You know what? Let's let's get it to be a little bit more sophisticated. This fake stuff has got to go by the wayside. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah, if you need sophistication, where do you go? France. <laughs> so it's foe, baby, foe. Okay. 
So, yeah, you know, the, this whole, uh, right now you're saying, well, gee, I haven't heard much about this. And that, I think, is the story. <laughs> that is the story. Yeah. It is, have you, uh, Mueller, who's the one who's, you know, well, what's his official title? He's special prosecutor? No, investigator. Investigator. He is, uh, you know, he's, he's under the radar. And he's popping up every once in a while strategically. And the one who, you know, was getting all the big publicity at the front end of the, these allegations in terms of Russia's, uh, participation in, in, you know, meddling with the election, et cetera, and how close he is to Trump starts with Flynn. Who so said Flynn been? he's, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a lot to say. Is that what the, that was to come on? He's got a story to tell, whatever he wants. Story to tell. That's it. And, and that was his pitch to the special prosecutor to get immunity. Right, but you know what? In it, that's his pitch to try to get immunity. Yeah. So well, well, what do right we know? Is, what do we know? Exactly. Nothing. nothing. We know nothing, and so you know we can. You know, I I don't want to play one of these games like the Talking Heads do on CNN or MSNBC and try to connect dots that are impossible to connect. But I like to take a look at it in terms of of Chicago and the way things have evolved, and I think in terms of the way that the the, the district attorney here, and they, they capture, you know, whether it be uh, gang members or, or the outfit, the old gang, uh, you know, mm. the mafia types, the, the different ploys and methods that are, that are transferable. This is a transferable skill. It's a transferable mm-hmm. process that mm-hmm. which you're going to use for, you know, convicts of any kind. We've got here, you know, accusations, and it eventually is going to, you know, result in, in looking at people breaking the law. So let's treat them like we would any of these other criminals and act accordingly as we try to reach a point of being able to successfully prosecute them. And so that's what's happening. Yes. That's the way I look at it. They're Uh, getting people to flip on each other. They they are. And as we take a look at it, there's been a couple of the the most recent players that have been involved that they finally gave, what, what do they give to them? Subpoenas or? um, Yeah, they got, yeah, they got subpoenas. Yeah. They got subpoenas. And arrested. Well, and arrested. They are under, you know, they're, they're right now being closely watched, monitored, or whatever they do with bracelets or house arrests. I don't know what they use. Uh, uh, (laughs) Headbands. (laughs) (laughs) So you look at it and you say, now these two guys are involved right now. And we've got Flynn who hasn't really surfaced recently until just a couple days ago. His lawyers got a little excited. But so here's the way. Here's my read. Well, they read got excited because a, a, a story broke. Well, well investigated and researched story broke. Right. Yeah, you know, let's face it. Flynn, from the front end, we knew this guy was. I would call he's military. He's a general. Yes. Yes. He is a rogue. He is a rogue general. That mm-hmm. is known. I mean, and all of a sudden, I guess they figured maybe some people forgot about some of the stuff that he did. Why don't we bring it up again? It's like it's a slow news day or something. I don't know why it came out of the woodwork. But the bottom line is, you know, they're upset. Flynn is because here he is trying to negotiate something and him as lawyers. They're keeping a low, you know, they're working as hard as they can to keep a low profile because they're in negotiating stance right now. They don't want it to be out. Yeah, we think exactly. We think they are. We don't know what's happening, but all of a sudden it's just like they can't let, they can't hold back anymore. They've just finally got to say something. But that's just, that's the most recent thing. But what I see happening is I see 
that, you know, that if they were working for Flynn, and obviously they haven't, uh, since nothing's really come out, or they're trying to put all these pieces of the puzzle together, they get these other two guys, and what do they do with them? They end up saying, look, we're going to get them to sing. We're going to yep. get them. And, and the way you do it is you, you, uh, you make threats, or uh, what you'll do is you play one against the other, so you say, well, well look, uh, you know what, uh, if, if you can, if you can take this up the food chain a little bit, we'll, uh, and sing just a little bit higher. And mm -hmm. then if they don't sing high enough, they grab them by the balls and say, sing higher. And, and that, that works. Get them at the point. And it works usually. Wouldn't work so on me, got... but it works. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad reference. Sorry about that. That's okay. So, I forgive you. So then you've then got those two guys, Manfred and Gates. Then you've got them going against against Flynn, and the typical thing that's going on here would be if if I if this was Chicago style, I'd go into Flynn's court a party and their, their group and say, "Look, we don't need you. We don't you, you know you're worthless now to us because we've got Gates, Gates, and we've got Manafort. We're going to go up that chain, and we're going to we're going to you know get where we need to go and need to be. So as a result, you know you can come here, pitch, and try to get immunity." But unless you start singing very, very high and very loud to us right now, you are getting nothing and you're not gonna you're not gonna walk. You're gonna end up having some time. So not just that, but thing, you're gonna be in jail with your son. That's it. The other piece of the puzzle here with Flynn is, well, if you can't get to the guy because he's a hard, strong, you know, me mentally strong guy, what you do you, you say, well, I can't go after him. Go after What's his, his weakness? Family. His family. What's his weakness? Yeah, mafia all the way. So this has got the earmarks. The, the way that this is being held is the true traditional ways that have worked before that I see. You know, I'm not saying this is exactly happening, but boy, I'll tell you, if, it was, if this was Chicago way of doing it, that's the way it would be happening. And we'll, see, we'll find out, but that's how I see it playing out. Yeah, I, I have a, a similar but slightly different take on the thing. What has surprised me about Mueller is you don't know what's going on, and every, you find out every once in a while, and when you find out, it's usually a surprise. Like the way, the way well, first of all, they did several things with Manafort, you know. They, they dropped the dime on him, and, and the news media discovered when and how uh, they raided his house. You know, it's kind of like Mueller just throws these things out when you don't expect them. And it's not even what you're expecting. And there's no explanation. And it's just like your mind is just racing to figure out what the hell was that? They searched well, his house, you know. Here we are. And it was, it was a, 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 yeah, it was aggressive, too. I mean, no announcement. And plus the timing. It was at dawn. Dawn. Well, Here's the thing. <laughs> they were aggressive. They were aggressive, and we think they're aggressive. We're watching it. Can you imagine what the what Manafort and Gates were thinking? Exactly. So that's part of the technique that he used, and it's a good point. That you know, let's 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 not only you know do it, but let's surprise them. I I, I think if there's a little comic relief here, the best part was that the the news people are then trying to figure out when are they going to come in Manafort and Gates. I think it was. Which of the two? I think it was Manafort. Came in with his lawyer, and everybody's waiting for him to get shuffled through the side door or through the basement into the, yeah. the, the building. And all of a sudden, they just walk right up the front door and open it, and they go in. And, and they're greeted. And, 
you know, there's only one or, and, one or two cameras and that's it. Yeah, right? that's what's so good about it. Yeah, it's like the obvious thing. Because, oh, they won't do that. That's too obvious. And that's what they did. And, you know, I see a tie-in with baseball here. I'm ready. I am ready. Hit them where they ain't. Ah, yeah. That's what they're. That's the whole thing with Mueller and Manafort in that entrance into the building. But that's exactly what Mueller does. He always does the unexpected, and it's always more than you expect. Like the talking indictment he did. That's what it's called because he just walked through all of it by describing his the, the paperwork on that thing is self-explanatory. It doesn't take a lot of pages or anything. It's very to the point. It's very. And you sense the depth of the hand of cards that he's holding is immense. And this is meant to shock and awe everyone else, everyone else, not just Flynn and his son. But we're talking about a lot of guys in the White House. This is aimed at Pence. This is aimed at a whole lot of people. And I don't think I've ever seen anything in our history done like this. Everybody compares it to Watergate, but I see a huge difference. Huge. Or, or Ken Starr and his pursuing the Whitewater stuff with the Clintons. No, uh-uh. This is on a different level. This guy is a real strategist. Mueller is a master at what he does, evidently. We've all heard how highly regarded he is. But you never hear the side of him how, you know, he can he can be so smart. And and the great thing about him is he knows when to shut up. Yes. And they and no and because he just talks at very strategically time effect to be effective time, you know, to do it. In fact, I'm sure I'm sure that, you know, this guy, wow, I I would vote for him for president. I think he would handle North Korea pretty well. Uh, I think he w- we wouldn't have to listen to him talk very much, which, which would be wonderful. And if he said anything, we'd know he meant it. Hey, you would listen rather than yeah. putting it on Leave it to Beaver. Which is what you do. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah I, it's like I'm, a, I'm an escape guy. Hey, look, cookie cutter Christmas. Uh, and I, look, uh-huh. I watched this morning CNBC because I don't have any beaver during the weekend. So I gotta go to Cookie Christmas. Yeah, I, I can't take it. I gotta escape. That's what baseball is all about for me too, though. But that's another thing. Another thing no. entirely, but I don't blame you. I mean, we we live in troubled times, yeah. my brother. It is sure not do. easy. And and this guy is one of those little islands of hope that we all sail into when we can't get beaver on the uh TV. Is that I think to myself and you by the way. This is not just me. You watch these idiot talking heads. Every one of them sails over to Island Muller frequently, and they say, Muller will get to the bottom of this. How many times have you heard that, John? Yes, and I, I agree. And I, the other thing I like about Muller is you pointed out when we first talked about him in another podcast, this guy, he has, there's no end to the level of detail he'll go to. He is yes. constantly. He will, and why? He will get it down, and he'll, for good reason. Yeah. He's looking for these key leverage points that other people aren't even looking for, and he doesn't tip his hand. He just, he has this reputation of almost being a nerd about this stuff, but I think that's a mischaracterization that he is not uh, likely to disabuse people of because he wants them to think that, that he's just just a real detail OCD kind of guy who can't help himself, but that's not it at all. He's got a checklist no one else knows about. 
And he, even his people who works with some of them, I think, and that's what I've heard, and he just combs over everything, combs over everything. He knows what he's looking for. Nobody else does, and he's not telling them. And then when he finds his gold, he saves it, and he knows the exact moment in time to play it, and boom, it's done. Yep. That's our future. Well, I, What do we I know about think... Flynn? We know nothing about Flynn. We know about Flynn through Mueller. That's all we know about any of these people. That's the game. That's the way it's played. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds as he continues to use this uh, t- technique. Um, and as we inch closer to the White House. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's the thing nobody knows. Is, is he inching or is he going to leap? And nobody knows. And I like not knowing. <laughs> I'm ready for a good surprise. Everybody's ready for a good surprise right now. Uh, it's just a matter of. And by the way, are you did you do any of this where you talked to people about uh, Flynn and 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 uh, Mueller and all this stuff over the last few days as we're getting ready? I did a little of that in the airport and I and, I, I didn't. Uh, you know, I was kind of concentrating on the other segments, but uh, yeah, you you know, it just doesn't come up that much. I and I guess people just. I don't know. What was your reaction you got? Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting reaction. The uh, the Mueller as a safe harbor scenario, everyone says. I think that's not even partisan. Uh, everybody seems to really respect Bob Mueller. And uh, the people who are hoping to see the demise of the current administration, uh, you know, almost have a religious regard for him. And that's there. But as far as Flynn goes, uh, a lot of people that I spoke with, I spoke to maybe four or five people, some of them like people sitting next to me on the plane kind of thing, you know, once I could kind of suss out who they were and what, what their leanings might be and found a way to bring it up. And they're like, oh, yeah, I think they probably got that all done already. And we're just watching a little distraction and theatrics and desperate media trying to get a story. And that is more more what I hear than, oh, they're applying pressure and all that most people just think, oh, well, he's been working with him for months, just like, you know, yeah. that, the, the what's the guy, the uh, uh, Papadopoulos? They think it's a Papadopoulos. They think that this guy's already signed, sealed, and delivered. Yeah. And someday, someday we're going to see that this has been in the works for a long time, and, and here's the, we're going to get another uh, singing, uh, talking indictment. Yeah, that that's the part I didn't bring up. Papadopoulos is a good example of where you take the low guy, get him this thing so you can get the, the Manafort and Gates. Gate, gate. That's how that yeah. works. That's another, that's just yeah. part of business. That's business as usual. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. We don't know how that's going to affect the Flynn situation. But the big one there, of course, as we talked about earlier, is his son. And that's, that's probably, and they had that early on. We know that. Yeah. So I don't, this is not a recent thing. I am surprised by uh, today's coverage where they're talking a lot about, uh, Flynn's lawyers responding to this stuff, acting like the usual mafia lawyers, and my wow. client did nothing wrong, kind of stuff. And I don't think anyone even pays attention to that. Do you? I think that's counterproductive, without a doubt. I mean, I, you know, I, I, my sense would be that the, the rogue behavior that Flynn exercises, he's basically kind of maybe forced his lawyers to, to take a stance. That they, I, I, I can't imagine lawyers wanting to do what they did. I, 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 I agree. I agree totally. And at this point, uh, yeah, I don't know what that is that he thought he was doing when he did that. But obviously, this guy does a lot of stuff that's ill-advised. Rogue is the right word. And his lawyers are probably hating him right now. But I think uh, 
our buddy, Mr. Mueller, is probably pretty pleased with himself. And this, this is good for him. This is cover for him. Uh, this keeps people confused about what he's doing with Mueller. And I think that's all good for, for Mueller. What he's doing, excuse me, with uh, a Flynn. And that's good for Mueller. Yeah. And that's good for the prosecution. All right. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds, but don't hold your breath waiting for that to happen because it's going to be a slow, steady, productive process. Or it's going to happen overnight. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, we could go boom, 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 boom. And yeah. All of a sudden, uh, I, yeah. Real breaking news, not to be confused with the broken news we watch every day. Enough of that. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's another thing you hear a lot of. I heard... Two different people said to me almost the same thing you and I always say about the talking heads. You know, that's it. They just tune it out. Why are they doing that? You know, and they, what you do is you're channel hopper or whatever you are, however you watch the news. But, I mean, you just listen for the lead and you listen for the head dude, whether it's Chris Matthews or Joe Scarborough, whoever it is, kind of talk out the point. And then at the point where he said, where they call on someone to say what they think, you go, okay, well, time to go to another station. Nobody cares. Well, the problem with the talking heads is that then you have one talking head saying, and then all of a sudden you bring another one on, and he can't say the thing the other one did. So he's got to come up with some other ridiculous comments. And it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it just gets out of control. The solution to this is two things, really. One is listen to the Bro Show every week if you want to get the faux news, because we've got it. Yeah. We've gone beyond the fake news. So uh, here, here's where you get it. And the second thing, of course is you need a t-shirt. Yes. You need a t-shirt. Shirt.bro.show. Get one. Wear one. You'll be safe. You'll be safe. You feel, you feel so comfortably, you know, uptired. <laughs> yes, you will. All right, John. Good show. Thank you. Okay, good enough. See you in a couple of days. All right. Looking forward to it. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.